Westwood in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. We invite you to come and be a part. Man, I could not read that. That is some fine print. Bless you, brother. <laughs> it's called the Young Eyes is what it is. Well, good morning. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's good to be here this morning and, uh, and continue on with uh, the topic that we've been going through for the last couple weeks uh, entitled The Vine. Um, before we get started, I did want to say, I don't know if some of you have been seen, but uh, there has been a continuous worship service at Asbury University since Wednesday. They started a chapel, and it has not stopped. Uh, they've had university professors and different people cancel classes and just have their classes go to the chapel. Um, it's continuous song, prayer, and people repenting in the hallways and all kinds of awesome stuff. So that's over in, in Kentucky. Actually, Asbury University has been kind of a hub for a move of God throughout church history. Um, you, if you didn't know anything about, uh, about the, the Methodist denomination, uh, John Wesley was the one, was kind of one of the founders, although he remained Anglican throughout his entire life. Uh, there was a Methodist movement that happened through his ministry and the ministry of some of his friends. And Asbury was the guy who represented um, John Wesley and their ministry in America. And then when Wesley passed away, they broke away from the Anglican denomination and started the, the Methodist denomination. And since it's had different factions, but, uh, but that has been a hub and a place where the spirit of God has really been emphasized and people have been driven to repent and turn their life over to Jesus. And so that's been a, it's been a really cool thing to follow and look at. Um, I've, I've been keeping a close eye on, uh, on what's been going on. I have a couple friends that actually went out there uh, for a, a few days and they said it was a wonderful time. And I've been seeing more and more people start to post about it uh, different places. So it's really, really cool to see that. So keep praying that, that, the, that the Lord is made known in universities and colleges. As someone who works at a college and is involved with education in various forms, uh, it's important for us not to get swept away by the popular ideologies that, that come through in, in culture. And this is not just something that's brand new that, you know, people are doing this. This has been happening for a very long time that whenever certain ideologies that are, that are popularized and made known and could be, could be sympathetic towards a specific group of people or even thought processes, whenever people latch onto that instead of the gospel, um, it tends to lean perverse, even though they may come from a compassionate heart, their thought process and everything is not lined up through scripture. And therefore it ends to lead into, uh, into false doctrine and uh, it ends to be a little bit more harmful than helpful. And so this is one of the reasons why we're going through this, this series, The Vine, right? So let's, let's start in John chapter 15, going in verse 1. Uh, I know I've, I've read this the last three weeks, but it's important to review scripture, amen? How many of you guys think it's important to read the Bible more than one time? All right, well, we're in the right place then, that's good. So verse 1, he says this, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Do you notice a, a repetition of a certain phrase? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory 
that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is interesting. We'll take a pause real quick here. This is very interesting because he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. This doesn't mean that you won't be able to function in life as far as walking or moving or doing anything like that. I think that that's an inappropriate view of what this passage is saying. But it's talking about the process of bearing fruit from being within the vine. If you are apart from Jesus, then the fruit in your life will not be evident that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It's very evident. He says, he says that he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And every branch that does bear fruit, he will prune, that it will even be more fruitful. We have to go through a pruning process in order to become more fruitful. You may feel like you're in a fruitful season, and that's amazing, but that does not mean that you will not go through pruning in your life. You don't just go through pruning one time in your life, and then that's it. You have to go through processes of pruning. Anyone who, anybody garden in here? I know Pastor Ken gardens. I know we have a couple other people in here who garden and who've been, been kind of uh, moving into that space. Um, uh, do you guys just have weeds the first time you plant your seed? The first time you have? Oh, you have weeds that, that try to come? Oh, all the time. Yeah, Sean said, I wish I didn't have more weeds after the first time. Yeah, there, there's a constant process of having to go through and maintain the garden when you do that. You have to maintain so that those weeds don't choke out your, uh, your plant. It doesn't take away from the nutrients that you're wanting your plants to receive so that it can bear the type of fruit or the type of, the type you can yield the harvest that you want. Right, You can have the amount and the, the, the healthy fruit. You can have the healthy um, uh, substance that you're actually trying to get from there. And then the beautiful thing about this, and we've seen this here in this church from those who garden, is that when there is a bountiful harvest, what happens? You tend to share what you have because it's over and abundantly more than what you can even consume on your own in your own household. And that's a blessing. So your intention is not just that you can, you can get some fruit so that you can just bring it all over to the church because I, I just want to give everything. It just so happens that as you're growing and when you're doing a good job, you're going to have more than what you can handle on your own. And so it's just naturally easy for you to give it away. And so when you're bearing fruit in your life that's yielded to Christ and, and you're going through a pruning process in your life, you're not going to have to strive so difficultly to try to display the fruits of the Spirit that, is, that should be evident in your life to show people love and compassion, to show people the kind of things that God wants us to do. It's going to be easier because you are grafted in the vine. You've gone through a process of pruning so that you could be in Christ and not so worried about the opinions of other people. And so he says this as we continue on. Oh, sorry. He said, this is for my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is very, 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 very important. It's for the Father's glory. This is not for your own glory or for the glory of other people that you work for or anything else. This is for the Father's glory. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. Now, he's giving a little more practicality. He's saying this is not, we're not just talking about a vine. We're talking about the reality of what this is, and this is to remain in his love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You say, how is that? How did he love them? Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then he says this, this is beautiful. You have to, you have to catch this, be really intentional about reading this. No, the, the greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Woo! No greater love has this 
than if someone lays down their life for their friends. Jesus said, remain in my love. And then he said this, if you do what I command, you will be called my friends. And then also this, instead, I have called you friends instead of slaves. So what is this saying? This is saying this is what Jesus was doing. He was revealing again what he was going to do as far as going to the cross to give his life for his friends. Give his life freely for his friends. But those who will receive the benefit of his friendship are those who remain in his love and who does what he commands. I've talked about this before, and I think, I think it's really important for us to, to remember this as we go through life is that it's not just about a sinner's prayer. We've made much of the sinner's prayer, what we've called that in, in Christianity, um, where you, you know, you stand with somebody and you pray that the Lord, that Jesus gets accepted, that you accept Jesus in your heart and all those things. It's wonderful. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. However, that is not the end goal is just to say a prayer. That prayer has not been around for very long. It's not been a thing that's been established by Jesus or even in early church history. You can look all throughout there and there's no such thing as a sinner's prayer. That has been something that, that people have, 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 have grabbed onto so that they can uh, give verbiage to what someone should be feeling in their heart when they want to give their life sacrificially to Jesus because he gave his life for them. Realizing that, that they alone cannot fulfill the things that God wants us to and that we don't meet the standard that it means to be able to remain with Christ and to be with God outside of Jesus Christ. And so we need Jesus. And so that sinner's prayer is supposed to lead us into that. But sometimes we've, we've made so much of the prayer that we don't disciple afterwards. And it's amazing. Someone may, may really feel the pull and the, and, the, and the power of God in their life and, and realize that they need Jesus, but, but there's no discipleship after that. And so it's, it's the responsibility of us as believers that as we lead people to Jesus, as we display his glory for, for his honor, then we also need to be responsible for taking them into consideration and loving them through the process of walking out their salvation. How does that look like? It means to remain in the love of Jesus. And what is this? It means to lay down your life for Christ as well. So where, where Paul says that we're supposed to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Again, this is not, Pastor Ken mentioned the, uh, the Muslims and, the, and, that, and that religion there is a certain aspect of, of that belief system that you have to literally sacrifice your life for the cause of Allah. It's not something that we're asking you to do is to, is to go and, and, and commit suicide or anything like that for the glory of God. It's not, it's not, that's not the, 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 the motive that God has for us. It's really to live a life that is reflective to where as, as one would be laid upon an altar. If you think about a sacrifice, when you're talking about a living sacrifice, and in the context of the temple when, when they would do that, is that you have on display the altar, and everybody can see the altar and what's going on there. And in that process, you can see what is burning atop there. And so when you're a living sacrifice, that means that you are on display for the glory of God, but you're continuously living. That means that everywhere you go, you can be a spectacle for the glory of God. Not that you're wanting people to just be attracted to who you are and just be like, yeah, just look at me, I'm so awesome. But it's that it, people cannot help but smell the aroma of smoke on you that you've sacrificed your own fleshly desires so that you can glorify God and all the things that you've done. You cannot go to a bonfire and not look at the fire and just ignore it. Especially when it's cold around, you start to notice that this has something that you need, which is heat. 
And so I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command to love each other. Again, I love that he says that you will bear fruit, fruitful fruit that will last. And that whatever you ask in my name, then the father will give you not just whatever you want. The father is going to give you because you just asked him. If you remain in Christ, then his desires will become your desires. So then you can go and you can pray into what God would want. And then you come in agreement with the intercession of, of Jesus for others. So now this is where I want to go. Everybody cool with that context? That's kind of where we've, where we've been remaining, and that's setting up what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be in, in one of Paul's letters. I love the Apostle Paul. I love his, his, uh, his letters to the churches and the different things that he's done to really encourage, encourage us and, and lead us. And so we're going to be in, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 26. And I think actually, Di, I think there's another section of those that are bigger than those little bitty ones. Um, yeah, actually, this is a little further down on the section. So in this, in this book, um, Paul is talking to, to the Galatians. I love in chapter 1 that he talks about um, the testimony that God actually drew him out of the, of the lifestyle that he was in, l- just, just being murdersome and, and, and persecuting Christians and all these different things. And then further down in chapter 1, um, he says that when, uh, when the believers heard the report of Paul's testimony— they gave God glory for what he's done in Paul. So just by hearing the, the things and the reports about Paul's life, they were able to give God glory. And so this is, this is why Paul, in, in the rest of this, pl- uh, this place that we're going to be in, in, in Galatians chapter 5, this is, this is one of the things to keep in consideration is that the testimony of Jesus in Paul's life was so great that when people heard about what God was doing inside of him, they gave God glory, not giving Paul glory. I think it's really easy to look at talented people and people who do things very well and with excellence and give them glory for what they have accomplished. And it's great to celebrate others and to do that. But if that's the, the pinnacle or the height of where our, our attention goes, then, then there's a misstep by that person who is, who is acting in those great gifts or anything like that. Because if they're not pointing to Jesus, then who are they pointing you to? So here we go. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. He says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Do you remember in John 15, 15, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. So Paul's reminding them it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. He did not set you free so you can be bound again by the slavery of law. Or by the slavery of religion. That's, a, that's another good way of, of communicating that. It's easy to think that I have to do um, these things and these things and these things and I'm good. Those activities of doing some of these things is great. I mean, hey, I don't need to kill people. That's a great thing to live by. Let's not murder, okay? <laughs> um, I don't need to commit adultery. Wonderful thought process. Let's not cheat on our spouses. That's a, that's a really good thought. All the spouses in the room said Amen. All right, good. <laughs> We're in the right place. Praise the Lord. So these are great things to think about, right, and consider. Wonderful. We need to keep these things in mind. However, if the only reason why we're saying that 
is because we're like, I'm scared of not going to heaven, then we've lost sight of what we're actually doing. Now we're bound by a law that's not actually setting us free because your flesh could still be leading you into looking at porn every single night, even though you're not you know, necessarily physically cheating on your spouse. Ooh, there was no cheers on that one. Okay. <laughs> Sing about it again. All right, here we go. It, it could be that you don't murder somebody, but at the same time, you're harboring hate towards so many people that you're the most bitter person that anybody ever comes in contact with. All right. So, <laughs> so we got we to gotta really pay attention. What is it that we're really free from? What is it that we are really freedom? It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. He set us free from the enslavement of law and, and religiosity. We, at first, before we knew Christ, we were bound by the law of flesh. There, there's, a, there's a specific man, his name was Aleister Crowley. He wrote a lot of things for, um, for Gnosticism and even for the Satanic Church. He uses his book of Thelema, and then there's a... There's another group that, that deals with, like, black magic and stuff, and they, they celebrate and read a lot of his material. He received a message from an ascension master when he got super high in the caves of Egypt <laughs> and, uh, and wrote a book based off of this, this information that this ascension master delivered to him. And in that book, there, John 3.16, is do what thou wilt is the whole will of the law. Do whatever you want. That's the will of the law. Whatever you feel like is good, that's good. That's the essence of what we're, what we're looking at. And so the world lives much by that concept, right? Do whatever you want. If it feels good, if it makes you feel good, if it makes you happy, then that should probably be the thing that's good, right? Unless you cross a line. But then whose line is it that we're defining here? Whose standard is this that we're going to be living by? Because there are some people that they have a much crazier standard as far as what they're able to allow people to do. And then there's other people that are extremely rigid and don't really allow for other things, but there's no solid basis as far as that person or those people groups as being the defining factor of all good, holiness, righteousness, and all complete perfection. Every one of those people missed the mark. Amen? And so whose standard are we supposed to live by? Ah, the standard that freedom is actually setting you free for. So we're now I'm free to live my life for Christ because I'm not bound by my own fleshly desires and opinions or the opinions of a culture is telling me what I should be believing and should be thinking about that actually dishonors the one who created the whole entire universe and is completely perfect and amazing. And so it is freedom, for freedom, that Christ set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He is speaking to Christians, the Christians in Galatia. So we need to remember this. Paul is not just writing to a random group of people hoping that someone will just latch onto this. He's writing to a church that's established in Galatia. And so he's letting them know, look, you were bound by slavery in the flesh at first. Now we're supposed to transfer our ownership from the flesh to now the spirit of God. Because it's by freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ set us free. I did not set myself free. You did not set yourself free. It is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he made on the cross for us with complete love and affection, complete holiness and righteousness that brought us to a place of repentance as we are aware of his presence in our lives. And so verse 2, mark my words, I, Paul, say, hey, Paul. You guys, greet, greet Paul this morning. Hey, Paul. 
There you go. Thank you. Uh, I tell you, I, Paul, tell you that you, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to you, every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You're like, why is this man talking about circumcision in the church? Anybody ever think about that? Like, that's really weird. Something to be put in just like, hey, I'm addressing the church today. By the way, don't circumcise yourself, guys. It's crazy. Why is, why is that in there? People are nervous right now. This, this isn't the Bible. You guys know that? Like, I just read that from Scripture. <laughs> that's up on the screen. <laughs> He's saying this because this was a, Jew, a Jewish practice that they were forcing on to Gentiles, Gentiles being people who were not Jews, forcing them into doing all the things that the Jews were, were accustomed to within their law and their nature. And so this was just one of many things that they were forcing these Gentile believers to do which is not setting them free from the desires of their flesh. They're just going right back into another religious system of rule and regulation. And so this isn't like, oh, you're crazy if you got circumcised. Hey, there, there's all kinds of great medical reasons for all kinds of things. That's not the point. The point is what's going on in the heart. They were saying, if you were not circumcised, then you were not saved. That's essentially what they were going into. And so that is not the belief system that you're supposed to hold to. That's being bound by another set of law. And so they were yoking them with something that was not supposed to be yoked upon them and given to them. That was something that the Jews were called to, that God specifically instructed them to do. And then when Jesus came and when he died on the cross, he set us free from those things. And you look at the Sermon on the Mount, everything that he spoke of was something that of the matter of the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If you're not pure in your heart, you're not going to be able to see God in your circumstances. But it's the purity of your heart, the intentionality of your heart's desires, and the things that you're doing will allow you to see God in the midst of your circumstances so that you can pursue after him with holiness, with completeness, and with the utmost desire for him to be evident in your life. The matters of the heart. So it's not about just the activity of the law. It's about what's going on inside of you. Because Jesus even said, there will be many that will come before him and say, Lord, Lord, I did this, 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 in your name. Look at my resume in the church. Wonderful, right? You're so impressed. I was so good for you. And he's like, depart from me. I don't know you. Who are you? What's your name? What's going on here? It's not about what you do. It's about who you are and your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, from that place, you will want to do things for him, and you will, you will start to see some, some things that are needed. You will start to see desires in people's hearts. You will start to see needs, and you will start to meet those needs, because as the body of Christ, you cannot just remain holy on the inside and not have that stuff leak out. Just like whenever you have an abundance of things from your garden, you don't just hoard it for yourself because you're like, well, maybe I'll eat it all. But if I don't, then it'll just going to go bad, and that's fine, because I grew it, and I'm keeping it all for myself. No, you're kind of excited to show other people, look at this fruit. This is sweet. Right? It's wonderful to be able to share the fruit of your labor, to share the things that have happened. And when you have an over and an abundance of it, it's a lot easier to be able to give of those things because you've seen the evidence of good works, the evidence of, of, of labor being accomplished in the work that's been going on inside your house, inside your own garden. When your garden is kept up like that, then you can share your garden and then share tips for other people to be able to grow their own fruit like that too. All right, let's keep going. I love the word, amen? So he says this, 
again. I declare unto you, every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, what does the writer of Hebrews say in Hebrews 11? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Faith is not just something that you have on the inside, but faith is actually the substance, the substance of things hoped for. What's the things that's hoped for? My hope is in Jesus Christ. My hope is in Christ and Christ crucified and evident in my life to be able to work out my salvation, to be able to, to sanctify me. I am sanctified when I uh, give my life to Jesus because of his blood covers a multitude of sins. However, it also is sanctifying me so I don't remain the same person that I was when I first became a Christian to the point to where I am today. Hopefully, I'm continuing to progress. If I have, if I have my mind set on Christ, then I, from, from today, I should be a very different person than I was a year ago. I should also be progressing to be uh, an even greater version of myself in a year from now, as long as I am focused my attention on Christ. But if I remain stagnant, then you will see no change and you will see no evidence of that. You will just see works. And works means nothing, right? The law right there means nothing if there's no faith instilled in your heart. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things unseen. How many people are walking around Papa Bluff seeing Jesus physically? I don't think there's many, right? Now, there have been reports of people who feel like they've seen Christ in dreams. Uh, there's people in the Middle East who feel like they've had a vision of, of God before them, and it's driven them from their, their previous religion into moving into a life that follows Christ. And that's incredible, but that's not the story of the multitude of people. Right? I, I don't think there's many people in here that the reason why you came to know Jesus was because he appeared before you and he, he is physically in front of you all the time, all day long. So faith requires you to believe something, right? So faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things unseen. People cannot see Christ physically, but they can see you and they can see Christ who lives in you. They can see the representation of Jesus and what he's doing in your heart. So that the testimony of Jesus alive in your life is like a prophetic word given to them, showing them that if you, who were just crazy as all get out before you knew Jesus, could come to know Christ and then transform into the person that God is making you, and they could see a progression. They could see that you're actually apologized for when you do something that, that, you, that, that may offend somebody. You can, they can see that, that your language, you're trying to curb your, your tongue a little bit more. It's where you're not as sharp or maybe as... As, as harsh, or maybe maybe you're not using the same type of words that you did before, or maybe the type of conversations that you have and the topics that you bring up are not the same as it was previously, and so there's something different about you, and the evidence of that is the faith that you have in Christ. All right, here we go. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth. 
How many guys have felt like that before? You said, man, I've been ru- I was running a really good race, and it feels like there was a huge barrier that got placed right in front of me, and it just slowed me down. Maybe derailed me. Maybe I took a, took a different street. And I've been running down a side road that has not been very helpful for me. I've been relying on things that I thought I could, I could go off-road, and I thought it was going to be real fun and realized that I have a couple flat tires, and I have a bum transmission, and now I've got to have a couple, couple more things looked at in my engine. This is pretty crappy. <laughs> Who cut in on you, on you? Who told you that this is what God was requiring for you? Was to live a life that was bound to a law, bound to something that was not the freedom that Christ set you free from. You just exchanged one addiction for another. You exchanged the addiction of alcohol for the addiction of law and religion. You exchanged the addiction of, of maybe drugs or nicotine, and you've replaced it with the addiction of religion, of good works. But your heart still remains sour. Who cut in on you and told you this is what it was? It is important that the, in, that the intention of our heart is always drawn to Jesus. Now, there, be, there may be some of us in the room that you, you weren't really raised with the mentality of, of having to think super critically, like multiple layers deep into uh, your intention. But I want to let you know that it is very valuable and very helpful to do so. To do just like what a little kid does. You know, any, anybody ever been around like a little three, four, five-year-old? And uh, you say something that you guys are going to go do, and they're like, why? Because of this. Well, why? Because this is why. And they're like, but why? (laughs) Because I said so, and that's what we're going to do. That's it. Don't say it again. (laughs) I will leave you here. (laughs) We have to ask ourselves that question. Because that aggravation of getting to the point to about four, four answers deep, you start getting frustrated because you don't really know why the answer is to that. But it's important to come to Jesus like a child. That doesn't mean we, we're supposed to be childish in the sight of God. It means we're supposed to be like a child. The curiosity that a child has, the trust and the love that a child has for someone that they know that they're in good care of. so if we have curiosity, then we're able to ask the question, why? Why is it that I react this way? Why is it that I'm, that I'm so hard to, to get to know? Why is it that I feel like I have my guard up every single time someone tries to get close with me? Why is it that I, have to, uh, I feel like I have to prove myself instead of just be accepted for who I am? Why is it that I, I try to conform myself into who I think that person or these people want me to be instead of just being myself? Why is it that I lash out in this way every single time someone talks about this? Or why is it that every, I mean, you can go down the line of multiple things. Why is it that I'm reacting in this specific type of way? Why is it that my life's fruit does not yield what I feel like I should be? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident 
in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who's throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? This is what he's talking about with uh, other Jews, Jewish believers who didn't believe in Christ. So they weren't Messianic Jews. They were Jews that just still were waiting for the Messiah to come. And so Paul was saying, if I'm preaching circumcision to these people, then how come that is is not the fix for me being persecuted for claiming that Jesus is the Messiah? So he's like, hey, if if I'm still preaching the law, then how come I'm being persecuted? Because it's not the law that people were aggravated at. If I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. It's the cross. The cross is the thing that offends people. The cross is the thing that offends. The reason why that is because the cross is sacrificial. There were many Jews who believed that the Messiah was going to come. And they were going to gather all the people of Israel together. They were going to go and raid whatever governmental authority was was laying claim over their lands. And that the Messiah was going to reign as the king again for Israel. So Israel could have a very substantial king. And they could be the wonderful people they knew that God had called them to be. However, Jesus did not come in the same way that they imagined the Messiah to. Realistically, he came and was born in a manger. He was a carpenter's son. He didn't wear a crown until he went to the cross. And that crown was not a beautiful crown. It was one that that inflicted pain upon his brow. Dug deep into his forehead and caused blood to trickle down. But yet the activity that he went through on the cross and the beatings that he took before that was for freedom. For your freedom to set you free. Not bound by the religiosity or the, the, the process of having to live under a specific king's rule naturally. But it was to come under the rulership of what's going on in your heart. Not placing him on the throne of, of, of a human design, but placing him on the heart of your uh, on the throne of your heart, ruling over you from the inside out instead of the outside in. Knowing that instead of you having to take m- many miles of trips to go and see this king, you can actually just hit your knees. You can open your mouth on a drive. You can go to a quiet place in the morning. You can sit in your office in the midst of a chaotic morning, afternoon, or evening. You can be in your classroom. And the king is in the room. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. (laughs) Paul is cheeky, man. (laughs) Just, just. Chop the whole thing off. There you go. That's that's great. 
Hey, it's in the Bible. I'm not saying anything that's outside the realms. Don't get mad at me. Uh, you guys greeted Paul. He, he's speaking this morning for that. Um, so life by the Spirit. This is where I kind of want to end up at. I know it's getting close to, to noon. He says this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. I'm going to say that again. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. This is important because this is not saying that we don't have a standard that we're supposed to live, live by and live to. This is saying that if we walk by the Spirit with the intentionality of loving and honoring God with everything that we're doing, knowing that the king is not in some distant, faraway place, and that if he doesn't see or report, a report isn't made about my activity, then I'm good because I haven't been seen. But knowing that if the king really is living inside of you, the Holy Spirit is, is living and active inside of you, then everything that you do is going to be honoring him with everything that you have. And so the standard that he sets is going to be one that you live by, not because you feel so bound to a law, but it's because you're bound to a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And in that binding, you do not want to disappoint him, and you actually want to please him and honor him in the same way that he honored you by giving his life, so therefore you give your life for him as well. Sacrificing your fleshly desires, not walking in step with what the, what the flesh wants, but walking out what the Spirit is calling us to. And so he says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Let me say this. When you know you're doing something that is dishonoring to God, you, you can tell. You know it. You know X, Y, Z is wrong. You can go through a paper and you can kind of list out a bunch of things that you don't really agree with that you're like, I probably don't need to do this, 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 and that because I can tell that's not going to lead to anything good. However, sin is sneaky. God told Cain when Cain offered his sacrifice to the Lord that was just some measly fruit and some, some different things that didn't seem like it was the, the good yield and he was envious and jealous of his brother uh, Abel's sacrifice. God told him, be careful because sin is crouching at your door. Be careful. Sin is crouching at your door. And then the first sin by someone outside the garden was committed as Cain sought after his own justice and his own law, creating what he thought was going to be right by his own flesh instead of listening to what God actually wanted for them by saying, don't be jealous or envious of your brother's sacrifice. Be careful, sin is crouching at your door. And so the first sin by someone outside the garden was committed by looking after what they defined as the law for themselves. 
instead of being fruitful and multiplying, he took away from someone who could also participate in what God has called them into. And so he says this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, uh, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. There's a lot on that list. Plenty enough to cover things that we all can figure out that we're dealing with some, some bit of something that's right there. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Here's the deal. This is why he says that we're not under the law if we're walking by the Spirit. Because if you're walking by the Spirit, then you're not going to do the things that the law that was established beforehand was trying to prevent you from doing. You're not under the law because you're not participating in the flesh of desires that is trying to keep you, the law is trying to keep you from moving into. The law was established so the people knew there was a standard set that they could not do these things, otherwise they were going against the desires that God had for them. But instead of them looking at that as a, as a means to see that my heart should not lead me into these activities, they looked at that as a, just a, a law that they could kind of finagle around and try to manipulate and try to just skate around and hope that they were not caught doing things that they, were, they didn't need to be doing by those who are in authority. But knowing that the Holy Spirit is living in our hearts means that we will be aware of every single desire that we have, knowing that what Paul says, we're supposed to take every thought captive, right? We're not supposed to be conformed to the ways of the world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. We have to go through a process of walking out our salvation with fear and trembling, meaning that this is not just an easy thing that once you've prayed a sinner's prayer, I'm now no longer having to deal with things in my life. No one is perfect in this room. Me especially included. Listen, there are things that we need to be able to go through consistently in our relationship with Jesus and be honest with ourselves when we are struggling, knowing that just because someone doesn't see the activities that we're involved with does not mean that the Holy Spirit is pleased with you because you can act a certain way in front of people who claim to be Christians. We need to be people who are walking in step with the Spirit so that we don't, we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. And this is the fruit that will be yielded when you live your life in the vine. I'm the vine, you're the branches. My father is the gardener. And so if that's the case, then we need to be really intentional about the nutrients we're being fed and about who is pruning us. Who is the gardener in your life? Are you allowing it to be God or are you trying to make other people the pruners? Are you trying to make them the gardeners? Meaning that other people are pruning you instead of God. Are you living by people's standards or are you living by the standard that God has set in the scriptures? How do you know what his, his, his standard is set? You have to be able to have a relationship with Jesus. You can't just have a relationship with someone who has a relationship with Jesus. 
and take on their convictions. You have to have convictions of your own based off of the scripture and be able to justify those things through scripture. And know that if, if my feelings don't align with scripture, it's not that the scripture is wrong, it's that I'm probably wrong. Do not be conformed by the ways of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There are things that each of us have learned from growing up that probably do not align in, in step with what the gospel has, has taught us, what scriptures have. Good things may have even been taught to you, but the way that you have interpreted it and then now applied it in your life is, is off, off base. So that's why we have to be intentional about reading the Bible. We cannot just say, well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a man of prayer. I'm a woman of prayer. That's great. I'm proud of you, but read too. And you cannot just say, I'm, I'm a man that, that, that reads scripture, and I just do a lot of that. I'm a, well, I, just, I just read a lot of the Bible. That's great, but do you pray? Do you seek the Lord? Do you let him speak to you too? Like There are reasons why some of the basics of Christianity is like, hey, read the Bible, pray. Those are two like the big things that we talk about a lot that you're supposed to do as a, as a Christian. It's not just because, oh, just make you good. No, there's intentionality behind your, behind your intimacy with the Lord when you do these things. Realizing you're not just talking to some book, you're actually talking to a person. Holy Spirit isn't some thing. It's the person of the Holy Spirit in the Godhead, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. It's an important thing to remember this. It's important for us to live by this. It's important for me to, to live by this. It's important for me to remember this and to continue to move this in my own life. I'm not just preaching to you guys. This is like you got one finger pointing out and three more pointing back to you, you know. It's important for us. We can't just show up here and just expect that it's going to be great just to come on a Sunday morning. You have to be intentional Monday through Saturday. You have to be intentional Sunday afternoon. You have to be intentional Sunday evening. I love that, that in, in the Jewish, Jewish faith, they have intentional prayers as they wake up for the day going into, that they're going into, that the Lord will be with them. When they go to sleep at night, they pray for the Lord to speak to them in their dreams, to reveal himself in the midst of their slumber, and to protect them as they're going to sleep. I think that's beautiful. I mean, uh, we, we sleep for a pretty good chunk of our lives. Our eyes are closed and we're laying down on a surface, right? So why, why can't God speak to you there too? There are many instances. Oh man, we can get to that for a long time. I'm not going to, but there are many instances in the Bible where people took the information that was given to them in a dream, walked that out, and the Lord moved mightily on their behalf because he actually was speaking to them in the midst of a dream. It's wild. God wants to do many things, but if you're not grafted in the vine, if you're not paying attention to his voice in your life and what scripture's saying, then it's gonna be very easy to maybe miss what he has in store for you because you're gratifying the desires of your flesh. It's consistently warring against one another. Be careful because sin is crouching at the door. James tells us that it's not the Lord that's tempting you. Don't say the Lord's tempting me. That we are, we are tempted and enticed by our own lustful desires. Another, another, another version says that we are dragged away, grabbed and pulled and discarded of by our desires. So don't be conformed by those ways. It's very easy to give into your flesh. Feels good momentarily, but that will lead you right back into bondage. I, I do not believe that Christians cannot be bound by things other than Christ. I think people can really open up 
the opportunity for the enemy to have a foothold in your life if you allow him to do specific activities. doesn't mean that you're not saved. It just means that you've allowed yourself to be manipulated in a way that you are not living out a life that is fully pleased in view of who Christ is. It's a false, it's a false imprisonment. It's like walking into a prison, putting yourself into a jail cell, closing the door. It's not locked, but you stay in there feeling like you're bound forever. When really all you have to do is open the door and walk out. Jesus is waiting in the lobby, just waiting for you to get ready to come on out. <laughs> He's like, you don't have to be here, bro. <laughs> come on, let's go. <laughs> we got things to do. But we imprison ourselves by opening ourselves up to specific activity that makes it look like we're bound. And then we get stuck in that thought cycle time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. But it's for freedom that Christ set us free. Amen. Let's stand up this morning. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. I want to challenge us. How many times or how many things do you feel like you have been bound by where you've stepped into a jail cell of, of specific desires and you feel like you have been stuck in there? How many times have you felt like you, like you have fulfilled your, the, def, the, the desires of your flesh more than actually honoring what the Spirit is calling you into? How often do you feel like you may have missed the mark in actually spending time with Jesus outside of coming to church? If these are things that are really impressing on your hearts and things that you feel like you, you, are, you are wanting to overcome, then I, I want you to just join me in prayer right now. I want you to, to open yourself up. You say, how, how do I open myself up and give something to Jesus? Again, Paul says that, that we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and you're supposed to take every thought captive. So if that's the case, then you have to get to a point in your mind to where you are giving these thoughts. Every time you have a thought, you sacrifice that to Jesus. Every time you have a desire, you sacrifice that desire to Jesus. It's not easy. There may be times that you fall short. However, repentance is a beautiful thing as when you miss the mark, you pick the arrow back up again and you try to shoot again. Try to hit that target. But we have to be proactive in walking out our, our salvation. I cannot, be, I cannot be the person that, uh, that defines your salvation for you every single time that you're doing it. You have to be able to take ownership of the relationship that you have with Jesus. I can't just have a, a mediator between my wife and myself every time that we need to have a conversation over something. That's not a true relationship. I can't play telephone with her with somebody else and hope that somebody else gives her a message. I need to go to her and speak with her. We need to do the same thing with Jesus. We can't just rely on a prayer chain so that you can, you can figure some stuff out. You need to go to Jesus, and you have to actually give that to him. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says that beware of the person who cannot be alone but desires community, and beware of the person that, can, uh, that, that cannot be in community but desires to be alone. If you cannot remain in a place where you can be accountable, not just to yourself and to the other people, but to Jesus, then that's going to be a real big problem. We're going to suffer. You have to be able to contend with things, speak with people as you're dealing with things so that there's accountability out in the body of Christ. But you can't also just rely on other people to keep you accountable. You have to be able to do this while you're by yourself. You can't just have people with you all the time. You've made an idol of people if that's the case. You have to be able to do business with the Lord when you're by yourself and vice versa. Can't just stay there by yourself. You have to be around people as well so that they can keep you accountable and so they can point out things in your life that also you may be allowing some slack in. 
It's good. It's good for us. So if you feel like this is impacting, impacting your heart or you feel like a, a nudging in your heart, then I want you to just lift your hands as we get ready to, 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 to offer this to the Lord. Lord, I just thank you so much for this, this great opportunity to come and to learn and to, to listen to your word. Father, I just pray that every single scripture that was read, Lord, is recalled in our memory and that we can, we can have this at the forefront of our minds, knowing that it is for freedom that you've set us free. Lord, I pray for those who are in bondage right now in Jesus' name that feel like they are trapped that that prison door is flung open wide and they're able to walk out in freedom, Lord, that they are truly, they have been set free, but they're acting like they're bound. And so in Jesus' name, I break those ties right now and, 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 and those desires for those things and pray that, Lord, your Holy Spirit's conviction will be alive in their heart, that, Lord, every single time they go for that bottle, that it's, it's, it's denied as they remember that you don't want them to walk out in drunkenness. Lord, that every time they go and, uh, and seek after maybe, uh, maybe a, a specific drug, Lord, that they'll remember that you have set them free from addiction of those things. Lord, that, that every time that, that we open up that cell phone and, and desire after the specific images or videos, even things that may, may be seemingly okay, but it's distracting us from actually having a good relationship with you, that those desires diminish and that, Lord, we'll have clarity of thought in the midst of that so that we can grab those thoughts and we can sacrifice it to you and we can actually spend time speaking with you and, and having relationship with you that lord every time that we want to snap snap out at that person or those people that aggravate us that lord we'll remember who you are in our lives and remember that we can control our tongues and glorify you with everything that we do lord that when we want to dishonor and disobey what your scripture says lord that we will be able to walk out in obedience and fear and trembling knowing that I'm not scared of you, but I have such a great reverence for you that I'm desiring to please you more than I'm pleasing my own flesh. So, Father, I thank you for your gift of discernment. I'm thanking you for your gift of conviction. I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, that even in my discomfort, you've sent the comforter. I pray, Lord, that we will not be a church that just comes and attends on a Sunday morning, but we will be able to live our lives out practically and wholly as ones who are set apart with the standard that is set by the cross and by your word. Lord, let us not be full of religion. Let us be full of, of intimate relationship with you, that every single person that comes in contact with us will be able to recognize that we have spent time with you and that they too can experience freedom because you have set them free. We give you glory, we give you honor, we give you all the power, we give you our lives. Thank you for calling us friends and that you gave your life for us. We give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name I pray and everybody said, amen. amen. If you'd like special prayer, you have a couple of us pastors are up here. We'd love to pray with you. If not, enjoy a wonderful afternoon. Rooting for a couple teams if you're watching the Super Bowl. If you don't care about it, then hey, just enjoy a great Sunday afternoon. That's great too.